to another exciting episode of Grim Dark Tales podcast edition. I'm Eric and I'm joined uh, for the first time in a while by Jordan. Hello. Hey Jordan. Um, great to have you back. Uh, it's also just great to be filming another podcast or recording another podcast. It's been forever. Um, so the state of things, the world right now, it's a bit... Uh, it's a bit up in the air, a bit of turmoil going on. Um, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. Um, being in the world, I thought maybe you had heard about it. And uh, I wasn't wrong. Um, so, yeah, we thought, you know, since we're all socially distancing, we're all uh, sort of isolated from each other, uh, maybe even more so than uh, us introverts would be anyway. Uh, we thought it would be a fun time to reach out and talk remotely and just interact with you guys a bit uh, from the Discord. Um, for those of you listening who do not uh, uh, participate in our Discord, we have a Discord and it's free get in and there. you should just get on in there. Uh, that's what I say anyway. Um, mm -hmm. It's really no. Yeah, we, we both. That's two out of two people. That's pretty high praise, I think. Um, mm -hmm. A real glowing review. Uh, you guys should definitely get on in there. For those of you that are already in there, this is not going to come as news to you. It's just uh, we told you guys earlier in this week we were going to be doing a Q&A session, uh, and we would be answering it here via a podcast. So here we are now. Uh, I've got the Q&A questions that people have sent us uh, open here, and I'm just going to go down the line and talk about the things that people asked us, and yeah, we'll just, we'll see where it takes us. Um, Sounds great. Awesome. So, uh, sort of the first uh, question here was actually from uh, Bido or John. Um, as we might know him uh, personally because he lives near us and he's actually been on this podcast before. Uh, he is asking specifically to you, Jordan, um, if uh, what would be some good units to use in a Talar and Astra Militarum list? Um, yes. he, know, he knows you're a lover of Astra Militarum. Uh, he knows you're a lover of Talarn. And uh, I would love to hear what you have to say about this as well. Yeah. So I actually, um, as some of you know, probably haven't really played a ton lately. So I had to pull my Astro Militarum book out and do some studying. Sure. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, the Talarn doctrine um, from the book is for, um, I'll just read it. So infantry units can advance and still shoot any weapon type except heavy weapons. Um, when they do so, they don't suffer the usual penalties to hit rolls for assault weapons. So that's really, really cool. Nice. Um, vehicles with this doctrine do not suffer the penalty to their hit rolls for moving and firing heavy weapons. If a titanic vehicle with this doctrine advances, it treats all heavy weapons it is equipped with as an assault weapon until the end of the turn. Um, so I, I love think that. for me, yeah, it's a, it's awesome. Yeah. And um, I actually have 
run some of my tanks as Talarn before, and I think that um, obviously tanks stand to benefit the most from that. Um, yeah. But I think that like your infantry can benefit from it too, because if you're going to play a Talarn list and you're looking to take advantage of that doctrine and be moving your tanks, then you potentially want to be moving your infantry a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're somebody who uses um, that order, I think it's move, move, move that lets you just like move. Um, yeah, in the shooting phase, move again. That could be like a good way to pair it with your tanks because um, mm-hmm. you can move your infantry. You know, you can hopefully keep pace with your tanks really well. Yeah. Um, and still be screening them. So your tanks could be moving fast um, with Astro Militarm. You can. Um, still hold objectives with your Lehman Russ if they're in a spearhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a good way to use like your infantry to still screen your tanks is to use that order. Um, and then with tanks, I just think like take a ton of tanks. Like with infantry, being able to move and, and to advance and still shoot is like it's kind of whatever with guard because honestly, like I don't know, like what guns can your infantry carry that you're going to be really thrilled about? Like now I can advance and shoot them. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. If you need, if you need to advance and you can still shoot without penalty. Great. Um, yeah. But being able to move and fire heavy weapons with vehicles, um, without a penalty, I think is awesome because you could still move, um, you know, half your range to take advantage of like the double firing your turret gun with your limit rust and have no penalties with your sponsons. So a lot of people play really like a really mobile guard army, um, yeah. which I actually like to do personally. Like I know when I've played guard, I definitely keep it pretty mobile. Um, Cause I think it's just really fun and they're actually, um, qu- they're quite fast. Um, yes, for sure. So I think with, with Talarn, basically you can match the speed that's available to your inventory. If you want to run a lot of tanks, um, mm-hmm. And then also, Eric and I talked about this a little bit because um, there's some new stratagems and stuff in the newer books, which I haven't been able to play at all. But uh, the one that lets you get a plus one, I think, to hit with your Sentinels on the first turn. Yeah. Um, that made me think, like, I already love Sentinels. I run, um, I always run three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I either use last Cannons or if I'm playing... Um, Katachan, I'll use the plasma cannon. But I think yep. if you're playing Talarn, like a last, like last cannon sentinel units could actually be a really cool, like, like you know, anti tank platform because if you can move and and shoot without penalty um, for your heavy weapons, then suddenly the sentinel is like, okay, this is kind of a cool unit because they are tough. They're tough enough that you can't easily take them down with light firepower. Yeah. But like they're flimsy enough that you're annoyed to have to shoot them with dedicated anti-tank weaponry. So I think they're a really fun unit because either like your opponent has to waste their anti-tank weaponry on like your 50 point, you know, dinky little sentinel yeah. um, or potentially just throw a bunch of fire at it um, with light arms and, and maybe you make your saves and yeah. So anyways, um, in short, I think if you're running to Lauren, I would go just like, it's not that different from a normal guard list that I would play as like Katach and Arcadia. And I would just say lots of, um, lots of Lehman Russ, that they're mm-hmm. the tanks that you want to be able to move around with. Um, so that's like a really good way to take advantage of the Talon doctrine. Cause like, obviously your artillery tanks, you're not moving them 
you may as well, you know, be using something that's going to move. Yeah. Um, and then if you are able to get a Titanic vehicle into a detachment where it's going to benefit from um, the Talarn keyword, mm-hmm. then I would say like any vehicle that you can run with like double sponsons, you know, just go all out and yeah. it, unload and then like do the crush them stratagem and just go, oh, you yeah. know, just go absolutely ham. Um, yeah. I don't know how good it is, but like I've done it in games um, and it's incredibly fun. It's super uh, fun. Yeah. This one have, you know, a stratagem where you can like deep strike in uh, mm-hmm. a vehicle. So yeah, that's another thing. Like if you really want to go all out on equipping your, your super heavies, your Bane blades or whatever with as many sponsons and guns as you can get. <laughs> and then you just drop it in. Like you basically, it's just allowing you to keep it safe that first turn. And then you can mm-hmm. drop it in and you can just, let loose and then try to charge after that and um Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's i think the talarn offer a lot of flexibility like they they sort of take uh an astromilitarm army which in general you know they they're generally like a good gunline army they do have some good mobility but the talarn really like ramp up that mobile aspect to them and you still have this like really competent gunline army. And like you said, the Sentinel stratagem where you're basically in that first battle round, you're adding two to their hit rolls. If you put last yeah. cannons on these stratagem on these uh, Sentinels and you basically just have them there as like a screening option so that the enemy can't like deep strike and you mess with their ability to counter deploy to you and to, you know, mm-hmm. alpha strike you and stuff like that. And then on top of that, you're making them these actually really scary, uh, like first turn sort of alpha shot units. Um, and, and like you said, they suck to shoot. Like no one wants to shoot a sentinel. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. it's this it's dinky. Yeah. It's insulting. It's like this dinky thing that no one wants to take the time to shoot, but if you don't and suddenly they're actually capable of like doing damage and not just being a body there that prevents the enemy from like deep striking and a cheap, you know, fast attack option or whatever, it can be serious. Yeah. And I do think, um, I don't know how clear it was when I was rambling earlier, but I do think that like, if you are someone who loves infantry, obviously being able to advance and shoot with your inventory is awesome because that means if say you're moving your tanks like whatever 5.9 inches or whatever it is you have to move them to like stay under uh, half half, maybe five inches yeah but you still want to be like pushing your infantry screen out far enough that if the enemy um charges like consolidates they're not going to be able to get near your tanks then being able to advance and still shoot your infantry obviously is awesome because on that first turn, if you want to move your screen out farther from your tanks, um, you can advance your infantry onto objectives or whatever, keep like a good distance from your tanks. So the enemy isn't going to be able to do any sort of like shenanigans to get in contact with your tanks by charging your infantry. Um, Being able to advance and get that extra movement obviously is like awesome. And then if you do decide to go, um, you know, all out with your tanks and just try to seize objectives and everything. Like your infantry can basically move the same speed as your tanks, which are going flat out, but maintain, you know, their full firepower except with your heavy weapons. 
So I'd say with Talarn, like if you want to play that style army, for me it would be um, infantry, and I would just not bring heavy weapons teams, which I kind of don't do anyways, unless I'm playing like a full-on gun line. Um, right. Just bring your whatever plasma guns or um, something like that if you want. Um, yeah. I always I always have a soft spot for plasma guns. I I guess they're probably not the most optimal, but I think they're really um, they're like a nice all-rounder choice. And then yeah, tons of just Lehman Russ and um, Sentinels would be my choice. I'd probably bring like six sentinels and if i could fit it like i don't know six yeah. human rust and then a bunch of infantry yeah i'm for sure and then not only that but like if you take units of like talarn vets and you just max them out with like melting mm-hmm. guns or whatever um that could that's be that could be really good i mean like that you know obviously they're they're a high target priority just because of suddenly they're like this really scary damage output but no, again, no one wants to shoot at infantry. And if you screen properly, and if you're careful about the use of terrain and how you move them around and deploy them, they may not really be a high priority target until they're in range. And then, right. you know, then they're unleashing that damage and they have the higher ballistic skill. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tasty combo, I think. Not yeah, to be that's very cool. Yeah. Agree. So yeah, those are those are some good uh, general pointers about Talarn. Do you, it, did you have anything else to say about using them, or feel pretty good about that? No, I mean I think obviously there are players probably who play like tournaments and know a lot more about them than me. But just from like um, having played guard for a while, even though I've been out of it um, for mm-hmm. a bit, whenever I think of Talarn, that's what I think of. You know, just like fast moving, sort of like more elite style. Yeah. army even though obviously you're still bringing a huge quantity of um like models to the table um yeah i think it's a super cool way to play guard and i think it's like the way that the lehman russ really shines and the lehman russ is like one of my favorite models um in the yeah. 40k universe so i just i have a yeah i love i love to learn yeah yeah and and i play you know i think we both kind of take interesting approaches to the our like gunline armies because I play Tau and I tend to run very mobile Tau armies as well where I use like marker light support to sort of negate the necessity to stand still and mm-hmm. I push out a lot you know despite the fact that it is it is a gun line like I, I yeah. try to keep it very mobile and reach out and make it like um a moving threat and more than like demanding that you come to me situation. I think you play your guard a lot like that where like, yes, they're a gun line, but you can cap objectives across the table in like no time because of the speed of infantry in that army and with tank support and stuff, it's like you're making it really difficult for the enemy to like settle on like, what should I be shooting at? What should I be dealing with right now? Um, and, and there's so many things being thrown at them at once, you know, like in their face, it's, it's a really cool strategy, I think. Yeah. Yep. I think to learn our, um, if you love that play style, uh, if you're someone who likes a mobile army, but you want, you want to play guard, like I think to learn is such a great way to do that because, um, it lets you sort of like branch out from the typical gun line thing and yeah. have all your models be just as effective, um, yeah. you know, as if you're holding position. So I think it's super fun. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, okay, so cool. So the next question um, is from Anthony427. And uh, I guess this is sort of focused towards me, but it, it actually will involve you based on what it is, which is uh, what got you into Death Watch? Um, he asked if it was the special <laughs> warfare appeal, maybe the tactical and veteran methods they use. Um, so I think I've actually gone over this in the past podcast, but I, it's worth repeating because there are a lot of new people uh, that are hanging out with us now on the Discord and um, probably following our podcast and stuff since I last said it. Uh, the Death Watch started as Jordan's army. Um, <laughs> he started in 7th edition with them when the Death Watch, the first ever Death Watch Codex came out. Um, and, you know, we just got these beautiful Death Watch veteran models and all this stuff. And Jordan basically started a Death Watch army. He bought like a chunk of an army and um he played him a couple times and then they just sort of like sat on the shelf for a while and i basically was like i'll just start playing them and i'll paint them and all this stuff and they can be like our army and then i just kept building the list up and <laughs> eventually i was like hacking apart those original models and like <laughs> getting the loadout that I wanted for my death watch and all this stuff. And, and I essentially, I just absorbed and assimilated Jordan's death watch collection into my collection. Um, I'm a horrible person in that regard. Um, but obviously I've built, uh, <laughs> I've built uh, a lot on that original um, sort of starting army that you had uh, where now you know, I have, I think, like 15 custom uh, watch captains <laughs> and, you know, so many custom characters and stuff. And they've sort of become my like main sort of sandbox army for experimenting with uh, kit bashes and personalization. And uh, that can roll into at least part of my answer to this question, which is... Uh, I, I really love that the Death Watch are essentially like a collection of basically they can just be all of your favorite things about Space Marines in one army. Um, I love that you can, they're essentially a collection of every chapter. So you can just say this character is this chapter and this character is this chapter. And you don't have to collect 15 Space Marine armies. You can you can get that character and flavor into into these armies and just like slap them into one army and then you at least have like a little bit of flavor uh not really in the rules but you know i'm a i'm a narrative and aesthetic player and and collecting an army that looks like those things to me is is half the fun so um at least you know part of why i collect them is because I love that I don't have to have a Salamander's army and a Carcharodon's Astra army and, um, you know, all these other, like my favorite, like Minotaurs and all these other chapters that I just absolutely love. I don't have to like invest in a huge army of each of those things. I can just have a character that like evokes 
this whole army that I love and embodies their aesthetic and their ethos and stuff and write stuff about that character. And it's almost even more fun because like I'm having them sort of interact with the other chapters. And I think that's where some of the most dynamic storytelling happens is when like people from different groups are forced into interaction with each other. And then what comes from that? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a narrative take on why I play them. Uh, I can't, really overstate the fact though that the death watch were started before me and then i in i adopted them (laughs) um (laughs) so i i do think obviously jordan you must have a love for them as well and and i think that you know you should share why you started playing them and and then uh me stealing them is sort of a uh an ancillary issue Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, um, I had always really liked all of the sort of like armies that were affiliated with the different branches of the Inquisition. Um, because yep. I've played, um, Grey Knights when like that first Demon Hunters book came out. I was, I got super into Grey Knights, which anyone who watches, um, or has listened to our podcast knows like they're, I would say that Guard is probably like my favorite army but granites have like the most special place in my in my heart yeah um so then when um the death watch sort of got a book of their own it was like oh cool um this is a chance to play like the guys who are like you know artemis from the inquisitor game like yeah you know like here's a whole army of like that guy um which was just like such a cool opportunity and I think at the time too, you had just gotten into um, Tyranids and I had a Necron army. And so this seemed like a really cool army to have as an option for us because like if story-wise, like those are two huge threats. Um, yeah. And Tyler was playing orcs too. So I was like, okay, here are these awesome story opportunities too, because these guys are like, you know, Xenos hunters. Yeah. And, you know, we had the, we had the Grey Knights army, um, but we didn't have any, no one plays chaos or demons. So it was like, um, from a story perspective, it was always like, okay, let's just wedge them in somehow. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. watch, you know, and that play style too was so cool because I had, um, played Raven guard as well, mm-hmm. um, space Marines. And so I love that sort of like dynamic, um, cause when the death watch first came out, it was like very like drop pods and black stars and all that. And it's a little bit, less that now with the way the rules have changed but um yeah they just had like a play style that appealed to me a lot um the models were super cool um yeah yeah. so i think it was always i was never going to be able to resist buying a couple of the kits but i think in the end like it's better that you're applying them because uh i didn't have the and still don't have the painting or like kit bashing skills to do that army justice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, to what you said about their play style and stuff, they, I do think something that's really cool about eighth edition in general is that I feel like there's more openness with each army where you, you can sort of play them in, in a style that is, you know, more your choice than like, Mm -hmm. I'm playing this army, which means I have this on-rail expectation of, like, this is the way I have to play them. Um, I think 
the Death Watch playstyle has really opened up, where like they're not just one thing anymore. But that being said, I I really do love to play the Death Watch as like essentially this just like you know scalpel strike of an army that drops in at the exact right moment, at the exact right place, and just tries to like decapitate the enemy command structure and probably just you know exfiltrate or whatever or right. set up these like horrifying like crossfire kill zones where the enemy didn't know there wasn't anything there and like you said you played the raven guard before i think both armies really had this like spec opsy vibe of you know these covert missions where they just pop out and suddenly they're everywhere and they just annihilate the enemy and then they you know vanish um, I think that's incredibly cool, and I love the idea that you know the Watchmasters of the Fortresses are like essentially trying to get like you know like they're they're basically taking in input instead of like a traditional chapter where the the captain is getting you know input from all his officers that have all been brought up in the same sort of martial tradition. You're getting a watchmaster who's talking to like, you know, five captains of the watch fortress who all are from completely different backgrounds. And yeah, the amount of like unique insight that they must gain from that and the amount of like options that are open to them for the way they approach each battle scenario. And not only that, like the aesthetic is super appealing in general too. Like I, the silver arm with the inquisitorial pauldron on the black armor, and the, you know, the extra like webbing and and pouches and stuff. Like I love that they just look like the equivalent of like tier one operators in like the modern military. Like they're mm-hmm. they're just the most hardcore dudes, and you can imagine they've all even like the lowliest member of the Death Watch much like the Grey Knights, is like this hero, this like accomplished, you know, veteran of many conflicts and it probably has like an insane kill count and all this stuff. Um, so I think that's all super cool. And the special issue ammo rule is so cool and really like, and the mission tactics rules, like super reflective of how they're, they're, they're basically always going into a scenario like fully prepared um Mm -hmm. and catching their enemy you know on the back foot pretty much always like if they're there the enemy is like not ready for them essentially um and obviously in a game that demands balance in order to be fun you know you can only push that so far but i think they found a really fun way to sort of demonstrate that the the death watcher prepared for essentially any situation um, yeah. And this this edition, you know, more than in seventh edition by far, too, because they have those like specialist stratagems that are designed to like counter specific Xenos threats. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. that, that has no function outside of fighting Xenos, but I, I'm fine with that because I think it's just so cool that like, you know, they're they're trained to like overkill Necron warriors so they don't rise back up and they're trained to like. Right stop the flow of like orcs charging them and they're trained to like counter shoot against like incoming you know eldar flyers and uh they have like technology to break down like the targeting matrix of of uh, marker lights from tau all this 
they, you know, they just have like something to deal with every Xenos threat. And I think that's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. They just have so much character as like uh, as a Space Marine faction, I think. And and much like the Green Knights, like, you know, they're they're a bit of like um, special snowflake Space Marine army. But I, I think that that's great. I think it's super cool. Um, and I've always loved the Grey Knights, but I never wanted to like collect them the way that you did. I always felt that like that was purely a Jordan army was the Grey Knights, and um, I, I was never going to steal them from you. But I did always like when you started collecting the Death Watch. I remember being like immediately jealous. Like I was like, these are my guys. I at some point I'm going to be doing this too, and then I just did it instead. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's sort of our long-winded both of us why we got into the Death Death Watch and um, mm-hmm. why Jordan doesn't have them anymore and why I'm a bully and I have them now. <laughs> you know, just that old thing. Um, so the next question is from uh, Ryan, who's been with us actually for a while in the group, and um, his question was just. What attracted you to the Warhammer hobby and the wargaming scene in general? Um, this is actually, I'm just going to fold this into another question from Pete, because he also said, what got you both interested in the hobby in the first place? Uh, he said for himself, an example is, um, it was the artwork, his older brother's copy of Rogue Trader. Um, Pete's a little bit older than us, so he saw this hobby sort of as it was beginning which is really cool um and then you know he got into it his brother gave him a few metal models and he's just always loved the art and that's how he got into it um so i'm actually really glad that both of these guys asked this question because jordan uh for you guys who don't know jordan and i have basically been in this hobby together since we both were in it at all and that started so long ago. Like, I think <laughs> we were probably both around like 10 or 11 or something. Um, yeah. We were definitely in elementary school, I would say like maybe second grade, uh, yeah. right around there. And I know, I kind of remember how I got into it, but I don't remember how you started. And I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest, I don't like, I've been thinking about this since I saw the question in the Discord. I don't like perfectly remember. What I yeah. remember most is um, I think you had started getting into it because like a neighbor also played. And so you guys had some of the models. Yes. Um, and I think that I remember you had like the catalog, which yes. I just thought was really cool. And oh, so, like, I never, I, I never dropped that catalog. <laughs> yeah. So I got that catalog as well. And I just remember like before I even had any models, just looking through the catalog and just thinking like, this is really cool. Yeah. And then I think because I had that, my parents um, at some point got me an edition of White Dwarf because they're just like, okay, he clearly likes this like magazine. We don't understand why it's just pictures of like toys, but yeah. Okay. Um, so they got me a wide torp and it just so happened to be, I think it was around the time that the Katachin book was coming out maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. and there was a story in there and I think it was by maybe like Gav Thorpe or like one of those guys who was always writing these little, those short stories in white dwarf. Yeah. Sure. And it was a story about 
like some Katachans on this planet that was like overrun with, you know, some sort of alien. I, I remember them being like Tyranid-esque, but they may not have specifically been Tyranids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these characters in the story just seemed so cool. Um, yeah. That I got into the Katachans, which was like my first um, 40k army was um, a Katachan Imperial Guard army. Um, back when that book came out, the Katachans had all those weird rules that were like very specific to finding yeah. like on a jungle theme. In board. jungles, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I remember. Like I remember it being that like that story that really pulled me in because I was like, okay, these like yes, these models are really cool. But like now here is how they like, this is the experience that you can have playing this game. Like it's not just like dice and measuring tapes and, you know, models. It's like, this is a story that like you are like living and telling um, by playing this game. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, as, as cool as the idea of the game was, I remember much more at the beginning being attracted to like the aesthetic of it and the storytelling and just how like dark and it, it was sort of like it was a sci-fi universe that I hadn't seen yet as a child mm-hmm. and it's funny because like when you know my parents I was always just reading Warhammer stuff and I think my parents had like no idea what it was and if they like if they had read it, they would have been like, this is horrific. Like, there's no way we can let you keep reading this. But they were just right. like, oh, he's reading. That's good. You know, better than playing video yeah. games or whatever. So they were just happy with the fact that I was doing that. But it's really funny to think about, like, how awful um, and <laughs> and just dark and, and you know, gruesome the, the 40K aesthetic was even then. And yes. there was just no filter and, and I, I loved it. It felt so adult and it's so interesting that like something that in that was compelling to me as like a child is still something that I think is so aesthetically awesome and, you know, informed my, my appreciation for science fiction and all this stuff so much then and, and does to this day and is still to me like cooler than a lot of the other, you know, like I love star Wars, but like 40 K to me has always been so much cooler than star Wars just cause it's like so, so dark and everything is so bleak. And I, I love the approach to like how humanity grew out of its place in the galaxy and, and, you know, sort of, its empire is falling apart and it's like super fascistic and there's really no good guys. And I, I love all of that. I think it's so cool. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's so cool that it was like already much like that as I was a child. So yeah, like you and I were both, I think probably around second grade, something like that. And I went to a comic book store, uh, Casablanca comics for any of you local people. Um, and, at the time they were selling Warhammer stuff and it was my first time ever seeing that. And I very specifically remember there was a box of chaos terminators that were painted like night Lords. I didn't know what night Lords were at the time. I just knew they were blue and had lightning on them. And then a hive tyrant. These were both pewter models, very old (laughs) by comparison to today's 
uh, kits and I was just absolutely in love, like instantly. And my, my aunt bought me both of those kits. Um, I feel really bad because like, she was like, why don't you get one? And I basically like, wouldn't decide on one. So she just bought me both. Um, which is like classic me to just sit there looking at two things and never deciding. And then someone is just like to speed up this process. I'm just going to buy you something extra to get us out of here. So, uh, <laughs> that happened and, uh, I got both of those things. I took them home. I had no idea what I was getting into. It was like, I opened these pewter kits and I was like, how do these even go together? They're not painted. Like, how do I paint these? I didn't even know until probably like the Duncan tutorial videos on like from Games Workshop that like you're supposed to thin your paints and use like yes. mul multiple thin coat. Like I had no that idea. That changed just my life. It changed my life. Changed my life. That was and like three, three or four years ago. I know it was <laughs> for like twenty years. It was so like I feel like I was in like you know Plato's cave or whatever like. When that happened, it was like I was coming out of that allegorical dark place. It was just, it was insane, like how ignorant I was when I got into the hobby. But at the same time that I got the models and I was like, this is super cool. I really had no idea that it was a game set with like rules. Uh, I, I hadn't mm -hmm. seen it being played anywhere. And I think it was a couple of years after that, even before like, that store called the keep a local store opened up in like a kiosk in the mall. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is it being played. And that like completely beat up Citadel miniatures catalog that I'd taken with me everywhere <laughs> was like, you know, I suddenly, I felt like I was like home when I saw this place and they, they showed me like some basic, game rules and stuff and i played like a simple game with space screens and i think dark eldar um i'm pretty sure that it was like sort of i don't know if it was the, i think it might have been the beginning of third edition um this was like the mid to late 90s uh and the dark eldar had just come out as a faction and there was like a box set that was space screens versus dark eldar and that was like the edition that was occurring when we were beginning um, and so the, the game was Dark Eldar versus Space Marines on the table. And I, you know, I played it and I was like, this is awesome. And I would just go into the keep like all the time. And my parents would just buy me like blister packs, but it was as a child, you don't have like access to the income needed to buy like an army. So I would just buy, you know, random models that I thought looked cool. And kind of my first army was an Eldar army. Um, I guess it was like, you could say it was Ulfway, but I wasn't really like painting them in a style that you could say like, oh, that's, you know, a human being with a brain painted that. Like it was a, <laughs> it was a disaster. Um, but yeah, like that was, the those guys were kind of my first love. I had um, a little bit of a Dark Angels collection. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, man, I can't actually remember that I, I you know, even though I had Hive Tyrant, I don't think I really collected Tyranids per se. And then my first true army was uh, when the Tau first came out, literally like the beginning of the Tau race uh, as a faction in the game. Um, I bought like a big boxed army. It was like the starter army. 
And that was, that was like my first real army. Um, I remember us playing together when I first got that and, you know, you were running with your Imperial guard. We had a friend who played orcs actually at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, I think we had kind of a unique experience in a couple ways. <laughs> One is that none of us, none of our friends played chaos, which was actually super weird to me uh, in retrospect. Yeah. And because uh, I feel like that's like one of sort of the the first appealing factions to a lot of people. And I always thought they looked cool, but I just did not want to play them compared to other armies. No. Um, and then on top of that, I think we were also really lucky because like we actually had like a circle of friends who got into this hobby with us. And yeah. I feel like even in the age of the Internet, I feel like there are so many people who struggle to like even have one person that they can play with. And yeah. we just got yeah, so like lucky. Yeah. It was like you, me, we had our friend Elias, uh, Emmett, um, the first people that I played with. Kyle, yeah. The first people I played with uh, were Oliver, my my neighbor, and uh, Jamie, my other neighbor. Those were like the first people I knew that actually bought models with me. Um, but you and I got into it much more. Uh, our friend Seth too. Um, yeah. Just crazy. It was like I can't believe we had like half a dozen people that we could say, you know, we did this hobby with. I feel like that's such a rare sort of treat that we had access to that. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of having people might've been what sort of kept the hobby alive in me for so long. Um, mm -hmm. and Jordan and I both, you know, we went to high school and the hobby fell to the side a bit. And then, you know, we got through college and all this stuff. And then finally we were both like, man, it's looking really cool maybe we should try this out again. And, and that was a few years ago, but yeah. You know, the thing that, too, that got me back into it was, um, cause when I went to college, I briefly lived in New York city and I was like living by myself and just working crazy hours yeah. and getting on foot. And one day I walked by a games workshop store and I yeah. didn't realize that like they had stores because we had the keep, but then we right. keep, it had moved from the mall to South Portland and then it moved from South Portland up to Brunswick and then it sadly closed. Um, yeah. And so like after that, I was like, well, I guess I can't, I can't get models anymore. Um, yeah. And then just by chance, I walked in um, to a game store, a truck store. Yeah. And I saw a bunch of like Grey Knight stuff on the shelves. And I think I maybe had had like a few Grey Knight models at some point um, before I went to school. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, like, this is awesome. I don't have a lot going on because I'm just working a billion hours a week. Mm -hmm. So I just got like a, literally an entire army, which is more or less the army that I have on the channel, except that I've replaced like the pewter models with um, plastic models. Yeah. But yeah, like the dreadnoughts, um, my guys with side cannons, like all that are from when I was like 18. And that's like when I got back into it. And then it sort of fell by the wayside again. But you sent me one day, totally out of the blue, a bat rep from Tabletop Tactics where Lawrence was playing Grey Knights. And yeah. I was like, I, 
I have those, like <laughs> I have those models. And that's what got me back into it. Cause our first games were like your old tower army. Yeah. Um, my old Grey Knights army, we were playing on a table that was like not the right size at all with <laughs> a bunch of like foam packing material that we'd gotten out of like shipping boxes. And I was yes. just getting absolutely slaughtered because it was like seventh edition Grey Knights and seventh edition Tau. Tau, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a terrible pair up. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But it was still, it was still fun. And like the bug, you know, it got us both. And was oh, yeah. a, a year I had like space marines necrons you know whatever we each had like a million armies yeah yeah it was insane we very quickly like it was it was like a fever that took us both and yeah you know we got we were really lucky too because even again like as adults we you know we weren't super close with the people that we had played with as kids but out of nowhere we sort of like had friends who were getting into the hobby at the same time um mm. and those people were getting into the hobby for the first time so we were like sort of going on them th through this journey of like discovering what it all is and what they want to do um and rick who you guys have all seen now at this point he did play as a kid too and we didn't know rick then you know we sort of only met him a few years ago but rick went like all in on getting back into the hobby at the same time. So, and then Tyler, my bandmate, who has also been on a bat rep, he sort of got into it at the same time, but he was getting into it for the first time. And it was just like this crazy moment where like, we happened to again, have like a group. It wasn't just like one of us or two of us. It was like, we actually had a group going of people that were all sort of invested in this very niche hobby at the same time, uh, which was super cool and, and, and super fun for, for everyone, I think in the group really to have that many people sort of going through it with them at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was like just a few years ago, we were playing on a dining room table with styrofoam and uh, soda cans and stuff for Halloween. <laughs> and, and like unpainted armies and all this stuff. And then like Tyler came, I think I feel like it was Tyler. Tyler came along and within like a few months, he had painted his whole AdMac army. And yeah. you and I were like, oh God, like we need to, mm -hmm. you know, this is like clown shoes now if we don't keep up with this. So <laughs> you and I both started painting a lot more. And, the, and you know, we got into like, well, we should have a table that looks really nice. This was before I even had the idea of like a channel of my own. Right. And I was just like, well, we should just, you know, it'll be really fun if we like really invest in the hobby. And we got like table mats and we got really nice terrain. It was just, it was crazy. Like it's a completely different experience. And it took like maybe a year, year and a half from when we got yeah. back into the hobby to like full blown you know, I have a hobby room that is 100% of the time dedicated to this. And then I moved into a house a couple of years ago and, and I have this channel now. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. The rest is history. Yeah. You guys know that stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of the, the trajectory that both of us took and we've really, we've been together in it this whole time, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, anytime that one of us was, I feel like the other one, was as well and i may have started just before you but we definitely were both in it like 
you know, as as young kids, and that yeah. was sort of a, a you know a connecting influence in both of our lives. That was like an, a big aspect of our friendship and our time that we spent together was was figuring out this whole game and universe together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so. That's sort of the answer to that question. Um, then there was another question here, um, kind of related to a little bit to some stuff we've already touched on. But Endon uh, Zelfar said, uh, I play almost exclusively low model count armies, similar to Death Watch. How well do you feel you match up versus Horde armies, and what are good strategies for engagements against Horde armies? Um, so this is sort of a, an in-game rules-based question. Um, and I think, Jordan, you and I both do both small elite armies and horde armies because you're big too, or yes. Astrum and Grey Knights, and, you know, I play everything ever. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we both have had experience with both sides of that. Uh, what would you say, Jordan, is sort of like your first you know bullet points response to that that question yeah so i think that if you're playing a low model count army no matter what even if it's not against a horde army i'd say the first thing is just making sure that um however you're building your list and especially the way that you are deploying is going to set you up to have um survivability um because obviously Low model count, every model you lose hurts. Um, so first step is making sure that when it's your turn to take a turn, you've got models left on the table to do it. Um, yeah. So like everyone knows that. Um, part two of that, I would say like dealing with a horde army specifically is just making sure that you bring um, like weight of attacks, whether it's shooting attacks or melee attacks. Um, mm-hmm. So like for myself playing an elite army either like gray knights or death watch when i was playing them um with gray knights it's really i don't want to say easy because they're not an easy army to play but like it's easy to bring volume of fire to deal with horde armies specifically because all of your models have a storm bolter yeah um and your models are relatively maneuverable um because you have a lot of deep strike options. Um, you have some psychic powers for mobility. Um, you have a lot of guns that can put out a lot of shots um, to deal with sort of like your mid to low toughness stuff that's going to have um, hopefully a relatively low save and one wound. And you have some options to add AP to your storm bolters um, as well if you really need to like thin out a particular unit. So I think for me, like the biggest thing which you're dealing with a horde army is just, you know, make sure you've got the quantity of like firepower or melee attacks to just like chew through those numbers fast and not get bogged down. Um, Cause I think that is where I have often struggled with um, space Marines mm-hmm. is that I think they don't necessarily have that same advantage of gray knights of being able to like pretty easily bring a lot of firepower. Yeah. I think you have to, um, for myself, at least my experience with space for instance, that it takes me a lot more like rounds of shooting my bolters, um, to take out a unit. And so like, 
you have to sort of think of other ways to do it um, based yeah. on your army. So with Space Marines, maybe you're looking at bringing like not your infantry, but, you know, another unit that's going to be able to bring like mass firepower or if you're playing um, like Blood Angels, for example, like you're thinking about getting into combat with your um, melee units because they have an insane number of attacks. Um, yep. So that's like your, your anti-horde is just having this huge volume of attacks. Whereas like Grey Knights, it's the opposite. It's your Storm Walters because when you get into melee with Grey Knights, they can take out an elite unit. But like right. if you charge into a horde with your Grey Knights, they've got, now they have more attacks potentially, almost some rules changes that have happened. But like yeah. previously they had like one attack. So it's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> if I get into a horde unit with, um, in melee with these guys, I'm in trouble. Um, you know, so I need to clear out the horde with my storm bolters, and then I need to use my melee for the elite stuff. Yep. Um, so I think it's just looking at whatever like elite army it is you're going to play, whether it's um, Grey Knights, Custodians, Death Watch, and you're like, okay, where is my biggest volume of attacks going to come from? Yep. I need to have plenty of that available um, to clear out the horde. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think... You know, it's important to think that with the Grey Knights specifically, there's a couple things. It's like, I think people, for one thing, you were talking about storm bolters on all the guys. That's actually huge now with the way that bolter discipline works. Um, that creates this, re I mean, you can put out, if you stand still with your regular dudes, you, you're putting out four shots at 24 inches with each one. If you yes. are moving, and because Terminators are a troop's choice for them, and you've, if you've decided to do all Terminators, and you're even on the go, you're putting out four shots 24 inches because they ignore they count as having not moved for bolted discipline. Yes. And that is crazy. I mean, like, mm -hmm. that's the equivalent of <laughs> twice that many Space Marines. Um, right. You know, like, they're, they're essentially shooting. It's the equivalent of two Space Marines for each one Grey Knight shooting. Uh, which is amazing on its own. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, they can modify that with, like, a stratagem, but even as a as a base tactic, you're talking about, like, that is really, really good horde clearance for an army with such a low model count. And uh, the second part of that that I was going to say is I think that people, when they look at the Grey Knights, they think that they are a melee army because so much of the visual aesthetic of them is their big right. glowy force weapons. And they're really well, not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're not like slouches in combat because obviously they all have like these sort of like uber power weapons, but they're, they're really not like, I feel like you should take as much um, advantage of their ranged potential as you can mm -hmm. before you're forced into a combat scenario. And you know, I think Grey Knights are sort of, they have this great balance of, like, if you need to suddenly become a melee army based on, like, the threat, they can do that better than other Space Marines, but they also are really shooty. So, like, you need to sort of don't treat them as if they're just one army that can do one thing. Like, you know, don't engage every threat like your Grey Knights are a melee army. Uh, you should assess the threat and you should think about if you're fighting Tyranids, like don't get stuck in with Hormigons because right. you're not going to chew through them. You're just going to get stuck. No. 
You're, so you're going to be there all day. You're going to be there all day. So just stand there and blast them off the table because it's so it's they're so good at that with all of that firepower per just individual guy. I mean, potentially one Grey Knight is kill, is dropping four Hormigons per shooting phase, which is yeah insane. Um, and the other really important thing, um, sort of that goes along with with that, yeah. with whatever elite army you're playing, is just to um, make sure as much as you can. I think that you stay. And this is true of any army, but I think it's especially important if you're playing the armies that you just kind of stay like mobile and don't, because it's so easy if someone's rushing at you with like, for example, Eric's Tiernan's army, you have what, like a hundred, like you can really find yourself, um, boxed in and potentially like it can be difficult, you know, say if I'm playing guard, I can screen my tanks or something against those hormigons. Um, yeah. Whereas if I'm playing Grey Knights, it's a lot easier for, you know, an, an Orc army or a, a Tyranid army that has a ton of models or even an, a Necron army that has like 60 plus warriors to sort of like control the, the movement on the battlefield just by like pinning you in if you aren't really careful with how you move. Yeah. So I think like that would be sort of like the third bullet point with your elite army is like, yeah, make sure you're deploying in a way that gives you like protection and yeah. sets you up to be able to respond when it's your uh, turn to shoot make yeah. sure you've got like the weight of dice to um, thin out the horde as quickly as you can and then just be like really thoughtful in what you're targeting and in where you're putting your models and kind of just try to think about like okay if I put my unit here and I target this what's left and like are they able to then like dictate how I move next turn just by their sheer weight of numbers like do i want to put my unit there or is it going to end up like being a negative for me because obviously like in a game where you're trying to hold objectives for example like your your opponent with a horde is going to have a much easier time like getting on objectives if you aren't like really thoughtful about like what you're targeting and where you're putting your units because you have fewer units to hold those objectives and have to be really um you know thoughtful in how you apply um, your firepower and where you're putting them to make sure like I'm not getting boxed in. I'm not getting like locked in combat and bogged down. Um, yeah. I'm still able to hold this objective and I'm like applying my firepower to the enemy's units that I need to thin out so that I can then, you know, use my, whatever my heavy firepower that's left to go for their, um, you know, elite units or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think like saying all that, like playing an elite army is not, um, I don't think that it's any more challenging than playing a horde army. I think it's just you approach it um, differently because the the strategies are very different. Um, yeah. But if you're doing it right, um, you know, like if you've thought about your list, and like okay, I'm, but this is how I'm going to play it. This is what I do. If my my friend brings like a hundred orc boys to the battle today, like this is my plan. I've got the firepower to deal with it. Then like it's just as fun and there's no particular reason for like facing a horde to be like daunting um or be like game over or whatever um right yeah. i think it's only a problem if like you have a an army that like for whatever reason the models that you happen to own or just the models you love are models that like they don't have a response to that i think yeah. like if you happen to be like 
playing a melee custodius lester something and you run into a horde army like okay <laughs> that's like that's gonna be a tough matchup for you and i don't think there's necessarily like a strategy to make that easier because at the end of the day if you've got like 15 guys who each have three attacks and your opponent has 150 models like <laughs> you know like you're you're in for you're in for a bad time in that regard so i think um if i had like that kind of army and i knew my friend had a horde army and we were looking to have a fun game i'd probably just be like hey can you maybe like tone down your list a little bit so we don't just have like you know you're attacking me i'm making my saves i swing back you still have 75 models like <laughs> yeah. we play four turns like and we just are bored out of our minds like yeah it's just that four times yeah <laughs> yeah so I think, yeah, I think that would be my answer to that question. Like, you 100% can do it. It can be super fun. Um, it's a different play style um, than you're going to play. Like, if you are coming from a horde army to elite army. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's really fun because we both, like you said, we both have played elite armies and we both yeah. have played horde armies and we've played them against each other's, you know, horde armies and against each other's lead armies. And um, yeah, you just change up your play style a little bit and it's super fun yeah i think it's i think it's super fun as well and i think like uh in terms of like those hyper elite armies like you know i think the gray knights are are an interesting and gray knights and custodies really i think have sort of a like a standard loadout that it's almost like inescapable that your army's just going to sort of include a certain number of like you know, troops with, with bolters and with some sort of combat weapon. And you're really, you know, like you're, you're just going to have this sort of like inherently balanced list because they only have so many options they can take. Um, whereas I think with like the death watch, you can definitely put yourself in like the pit you're talking about, where like if someone decided, literally like i'm just gonna have like four squads of vets and they're all gonna have heavy thunder hammers or something like that like right th that's you're you know <laughs> you're essentially building an army that does literally one thing um right and, and it's super cool it is it's really cool that they even can do that because it shows like how diverse um building a list can be and there isn't just one option there, you know, there's all these things you can do. And if your opponent is properly, if you guys are like both prepared for the way that game's going to go, that actually could still be really fun depending on what they take. So it's not like it's, that's never going to be a game. It's that like, if you are, if you're going into it with the idea that like, this is a take all comers list and it's composed of small elite units, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing where you have to think about, like, I need to have a certain amount of, like, volume of fire, I need to have mobility, and, you know, I need to be able to hit pretty hard when I do hit. And, and on top of all those things, like, you know, you want to make sure that if you're, like, a glass cannon army that you're, like, thinking about that, and you can't just assume that because you spent all these points on a unit that it's going to like take care of itself. Uh, if you throw a 500 point unit of like 10 paladins 
into a squad of 30 gene stealers, like, <laughs> you know, they could still just yeah. die and right. not kill that many gene stealers because gene stealers have an involved save and they have a billion attacks and they have AP. So it's like they would tear down a unit that has a toughness as low as four pretty quickly, you know, regardless of their save or, or their wound count or whatever. So it's like you have to just think about the fact that like just because a unit is really expensive doesn't mean it can deal with everything. And just because Paladins seem like a really hardcore melee unit doesn't mean you should throw them into any meat grinder and expect them to like very quickly deal with it. Uh, right. That's not, that's just not how the game works. So, you know, you have to be conscientious of that when you, when you decide that you're going to charge, you know, your incredibly costly paladin unit into <laughs> anything, you know, you should be considering what it is. Is it like, is it the kind of situation where I'm just mopping up something I've mostly killed and they're very likely going to kill it. And then, you know, you can move forward, you get consolidation moves, you get piling moves, and you are trying to move somewhere quickly because mobility is a huge thing for elite armies where when you play horde armies, mobility is huge in that, like, you have to be very considerate of the fact that you have, you know, 15 different things that you have to move and you just have to keep track of like the logistics of where they are all in relation to each other if you have like buffing commanders if you have stratagems that you want to use if you have like an order of operations basically in order to maximize that and i feel like elite units are less about that and they're more about like risk evaluation and risk assessment and being like i cannot afford to be careless with this unit so i have to like I hope that everything I'm doing is the best possible choice, but you have far fewer units right. to worry about. So it's, it's yeah. like a balanced thing and it doesn't, it's not harder. Like you said, it's not harder than playing horde armies. It's just two completely different things that you're trying to do. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's sort of an answer to that. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, so Somebody answer. asked a question about if I was going to take my granites out of the trash. That is a super uh, valid question. I would like to hear your answer to that. I I can't remember if there's more to the question than that. Um, it's just that. But I definitely um, I did read the new rules, Eric, uh, before we um, before we weren't allowed to travel um, <laughs> and visit people. Eric came over. Um, so that I could look at the new rules because obviously anyone who watches the channel or the podcast knows that I basically haven't played a game in like a year, a year and a half. It's been a bit. Um, it's been a bit. It's been a really long time. We played a little kill team and we, and we got together and played a game with Rick. But like I've, um, I've been following news and, and stuff, but I really haven't played. Um, yeah. So I saw those new rules and I was like, okay, wow, this is really cool. Um, like a lot more flexibility. The points have gone down, um, so I'm very excited to um, play my granites again for sure. And I also think that, from what I saw, I'll be able to run a list that hopefully is more like the list I originally ran um, before we got back into the hobby when it was more like infantry. Um, yeah. I do own um, 
I own four Nemesis Dreadnights, <laughs> and I do love the models and I love the lore behind them, but yeah. I don't, um, I've never loved using them on the table just because I feel like um, it's a model that maybe like Games Workshop has always struggled a little bit to find like its, its place. Um, yeah, like its sweet spot. It doesn't, yeah, like it's never really felt to me like it was at least since I'm eighth edition, it's never felt like it was good enough for its points. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it didn't seem to really do a lot, but like you kind of almost had to use them because the inventory was so overpriced that it was like, well, like, you know, we're running these Nemesis Trinites because we have to. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like did that in seventh because like you needed to make it a game. It was the best unit. You picked it. Um, but now it kind of seems like you really can run like the, the list that I think is really um, emblematic of Grand Knights, which is like Grand Knights having your um, your strike squads and your Terminators 